Good morning. Man, those are beautiful songs. Um, we're going to have to get to know them. I can't wait till they get belted out here as a congregation. And sometimes I, I love just listening to the worship here. Um, it's uh, soothing and it just reminds me of what's coming in glory. Last Sunday, <clears throat> I was uh, sharing a message on, um, on wielding our weapons. And, uh, you know, as I was meditating on that and, and seeking the Lord um, about a message this week, I, I was thinking, you know, I can't just end it there. There's so much in this scripture passage that needs to be unpacked to a, a greater degree. I don't know if you ever do that when you study the Word of God where you, you go back to a verse because it has spoken powerfully to you. And, and you realize that the Spirit of God is directing you back to it and saying there's more here for you. And that was kind of what I was dealing with when I was um, considering this passage um, that you have in your bulletin there again. It's, it's the same text that we went over last Sunday. <clears throat> but I want to focus on another part of it this morning. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Um, as we look at the scripture passage, one of the things you, you notice um, as Paul is addressing this to the Corinthian churches, he wants them to understand that we're walking in the flesh. So sometimes we become very heavenly minded as believers and, and, um, and, and we live in, our, in a spiritual dimension. But when he, he speaks this thought, he wants us to remember that God has given us weapons, but we're still walking in this flesh. We're still mortal beings. Um, and as we walk in the flesh, I think sometimes we have this tendency as believers to, to um, turn to the Lord Jesus and then go live on a mountaintop and forget about humanity. And, and I think it's just an important thought as we get into the fact that we have a, a battle that God has called us to fight in, in, in another realm. Let's not lose sight of the fact that God has also given us um, a spot in the world to change it, to be a light, because, because, because humanity is broken and, and in need of the light of Jesus more than ever in our world today. And so we shouldn't stick our head in the sand or, or somehow lose sight of the fact that God has a calling upon us. You know, where, where else can we show our light but in a dark world? And so he says here, we walk in the flesh. We're, we're walking in the world, might be another way to say that. And so as we do that, um, I would invite you to, ask, to, to also pray with me, Lord, give me your vision to see humanity the way you see it. To, to have your eyes to see people the way you see them. And there's a verse in Matthew chapter 9, it's verse 36, um, that shows us what Jesus did in his day as he was walking in the flesh. You know, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so, as he dwelt among us, he, he viewed humanity through his vision. And this is what it says in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, for, 
for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So I want you to notice, he uses the word into. So he says, pray that God would send us into the harvest. And if we're out on a mountaintop somewhere, we're not, we're not able to make that impact in our community for the sake of the gospel. And so, so we, we, we know that light and darkness have nothing in common. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about exposing our light to a dark world who needs to see Jesus and having compassion on them and understanding that they are harassed and they're helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I think if we have that kind of attitude, then we can deal with the rest of this passage, keeping that kind of tucked away as, as, as the context here. We walk in the flesh. When we, what, what we need to realize, though, as we walk in the flesh is that the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Like he says here. But they have divine power to destroy strongholds. So, so what, what we need to realize is that, that God has given us incredible weapons. In fact, the weapons he's given us are so powerful that they can destroy strongholds that have risen up against the kingdom of God. But while we walk in the flesh, as children of God, we don't fight in the flesh. Our, our weapons aren't physical weapons. We fight in another dimension, in another realm, in, in heavenly places, not physically here. In, in, our, in our world today, I think sometimes um, we, we, the church, and I'm talking about the universal church, we, we see how the world attacks problems. We see how the world reasons in their own way how to solve issues. And one of the things we remind ourselves is that the church ought not to use weapons the way the world does. Our weapons are of divine power. They're heavenly weapons. They're not earthly weapons. So when we run into roadblocks and strongholds and, and difficulties, we don't use worldly weapons. We use the weapons that God has given us in our arsenal. And I want to talk about that here today. Um, uh, for, for the rest of our, our time here, I want to focus mostly on verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 10 here. Verse 5. Verse 5 says this. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. One of the things that we all find, and history actually teaches us this, every time there's been a battle in history, we know that two things need to come into, into play. When you're fighting an opposing force, you must know your enemy and you must know your weapon. Two things. You must know your weapon and you must know your enemy. And so, as we think about the, the battle that we are in today, those are, those are two things that we must understand when God has called us to, to take up weapons that have divine power to destroy strongholds. 
uh, we must get to know the enemy and understand the tactics of the enemy, and we must know the power and how to wield the weapons that God has given us. The, the Amplified Version um, takes verse 5, and I, I like how it stretches it out. And it, it, um, it demonstrates you know, some of the original thought of, of the writer um, as he was writing this here um, through the inspiration of God. It says this, We are destroying sophisticated arguments in every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God and we're taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ. And so, I want us to consider these sophisticated arguments and these lofty opinions. Because both of them are raised against the knowledge of God. When I think about a, a sophisticated argument, uh, what comes to mind is, is an argument that is based purely on, on intellect. And when I say that, it's an argument that's based on, on human reasoning without God as the premise. So, one of the things he says here is that these sophisticated arguments exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. They exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. And as God has given us weaponry to fight against it, and as we're getting to know the enemy, one of the things we ought to realize is what is the enemy using? The enemy delightfully uses sophisticated arguments because they raise themselves, they exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. And we ought to, as the church, we ought not to fight using those kinds of weapons. We ought not to use sophisticated arguments. We ought to wield the weapon of truth. Um, Jesus, Jesus, when he was standing before Pilate, he, he kind of shared this thought even with Pilate. Remember, remember when Pilate asked him if he was a king? And Jesus acknowledged and he said, yeah, I am a king. But he says, my kingdom is not of this world. And then he makes a statement there. I don't know if, you ever, if it ever struck you, but he says, if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight. So he was saying here, if our battle is on the earthly dimension, then my servants would take up swords and fight against the Roman government and overthrow it. But he says, no, that's not the case. We don't use sophisticated arguments and lofty opinions. We use the divine power the weapon of truth, which comes from the Word of God, and we use that to fight our battles in this world. So I want you to think about that as we look at Romans chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 18. In verse 18 it says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So we're living in a world where sophisticated arguments that have been raised against the knowledge of God, exalted themselves against the knowledge of God, um, they identify what Paul is talking about here in Romans 1. 
where he says that ungodly people through their unrighteousness are suppressing the truth. You know, the, the picture I get is, is, of, is, is, is somebody just pushing it down and not letting it bloom and grow. So we live in a world where, where the enemy and his tactics against the church is doing his best to suppress truth. They don't want truth to prevail. The enemy doesn't want truth to prevail. And, and because we live in a world who has adopted the lies of the enemy, the, the politicians and, and, and people in the world who are in many ways even indoctrinating our university students and, and affecting media and, and, and every place where we go to get information outside the Word of God, it's been infected by people who are suppressing the truth because they're, they're under the oppression of the enemy. They're, they're being deceived, so they're suppressing the truth. He says in verse 19, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. It's very obvious to them. All you have to do, he said, is, is to consider. Look around you, open your eyes. It's, it's obvious. It's, it's what makes sense to you. So he says all of humanity has the opportunity to see these things. It's obvious to them. It's plain to them. The invisible attributes of God, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. There's no... There's no fog. There's nothing obstructing our view. And guess what? Not just us as Christians. Every person in the world has clearly perceived the invisible attributes of God. It's obvious. It's obvious. Ever since the creation of the world, he says, in the things that have been made, he says, all you have to do is look around you. You see the trees and you see the flowers and you see animals. You see the way the human body functions. And he says it's clearly perceived. Clearly perceived. So they are without excuse. Which brings us to the thought that when we use human reasoning, when we use um, these sophisticated arguments and lofty opinions that are raised against the knowledge of God, if we as a church, church take in the method of the world and we try to resolve our problems using those methods, this is where we find ourselves eventually. The things about God are clearly perceived. So they are without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. And then it says this, they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And I want you, as you think about that, I want you to especially see what Paul is saying here. He's saying when we suppress the truth, there are two things that happen. You become futile in your thinking. Futile means purposeless, empty, with no direction, no pursuit, no goals in life. You, everything is vain. You become futile in your thinking. And your heart becomes dark when you buy into this ideology, these lies. So he says, as, as a result of thinking you're wise, thinking you have a sophisticated argument, you actually become a fool. And so he says, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, 
to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And brothers and sisters, aren't we seeing that today? People have suppressed the truth. Their hearts have become dark. They're futile in their way of thinking. And as a result, we're dealing with generations of people that are dishonoring their bodies. I mean, how sad to see our youth and our young people that are mutilating themselves and are, are cutting off what God created in their human body because they've bought into these lies. They're dishonoring their bodies among themselves. We're seeing this on a consistent basis. And, and, and you ask yourself, yeah, but it's not in the church. It is creeping into the church all over the place. I mean, it's one thing for the world to adopt it. But the horrible thing is that, that the church has also embraced some of these things. The universal church. And these things are creeping in. And in the UK, they said that it has increased among teenagers by 4,000%. You can't even imagine that. There are so many confused people who have become futile in their way of thinking because they exchange the truth about God for a lie, like it says here. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. As a result of this, of, of the truth being exchanged for a lie, and people suppressing the truth and having their hearts become dark, as a result of this, they've dishonored their bodies. And, and, and here's the problem. They've traded an objective truth for subjective truth. You ever hear people say now to you um, things like, well, your truth isn't my truth? You ever hear people say that? This has become common in our world. Well, I have my own truth. You have your truth and I have my truth. So that's what I mean by subjective truth. Sub subjective truth is based on an opinion. It is based on a sophisticated argument. It's not based upon the Word of God. When we talk about objective truth, I, I, I could sit here and say, well, this pulpit here is made out of wood. And, and, and I would be telling you an objective truth. But what if I said to you, what you're seeing here isn't wood, it's actually made out of glass or metal or plastic. Well, in our world today, they would say, well, okay, I can accept that. That's your truth. So, so this, is, this is the issue when we take away objective truth. Objective truth says this is made out of wood. Subjective truth, you can call it whatever you want to call it. And so, as a result of that, you justify any kind of behavior. That's why if you buy into this line of thinking, I mean, where do you stop? Murderers can say they're living their truth by killing people. Pedophiles can say, well, I'm living my truth by doing what they do. Criminals can say, I'm living my truth by stealing and committing crime. And so, when objective truth ceases to exist, we open ourselves up to a futile way of thinking with no purpose. And so, as you know your enemy, I want you to know that this is the direction that the enemy wants you to go. He wants you to get to a place in your life where 
where you suppress the truth and your heart becomes dark and you become futile in your way of thinking, in your pursuits. And, and you buy into some of, some of these lies, some of this garbage. <clears throat> when we do this, when we, buy, when we use human reasoning, we understand that human reasoning will lead us to a debased mindset. These sophisticated arguments, they, they will lead us to, to a mind that is darkened and can no longer understand the ways of God. It's debased. I want to talk to you about something here this morning that, that, that I've observed too. And you have observed it as well. Maybe you haven't identified it. When something becomes a stronghold, and you might know of something in your life where you know it's a stronghold, Almost in every situation, something that, be, that becomes a stronghold begins with an emotional outburst. Here's the thing. When we deal with an emotional outburst, we can normally capture it if we're thinking with a weapon of truth, if we're fighting with a weapon of truth. We can normally stop it right there, and it doesn't have to become a stronghold. But when we buy into the father of lies and into into suppressing the truth and exchanging the truth for a lie, then when we deal with an emotional outburst, we become susceptible to a whole way of life. I hope you're following me here a little bit. Um, or all the way. When, you know, some, something that I, I've seen that has affected our church, the universal church of Jesus Christ negatively, for example, you have a young person that is, is maybe in a, in a public institution somewhere and a person of influence who's bought into this suppressing of truth and this, this exchanging the truth of God for lie. And they, they might convince your young person that as a man they're living trapped in, 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 a, in a woman's body or, or in a man's body or, or whichever. So they, they might convince you that you are somebody that you're not. And remember, this is subjective truth. Because the actuality, your, your biological sex is who God created you to be. That's, that's objective. That's, that's this cold, hard fact of truth. But, but when you live in a world such as ours, they've traded in objective truth for subjective truth. And as a result, you might have a young person that comes to your house and says, or maybe a member of your own family, maybe your own son or daughter, and will say, Mom or Dad, this is who I am. You know, I, I realize I was born as a woman, but I've decided that I'm actually a man. And, and as a result, they make horrible decisions based on that emotional outburst. What, what I believe has gone, gone wrong is that, that moms and dads in a church setting, in, in a Christian setting, have allowed their, their love and their affection for these young people to change their way of thinking as well. And, and I know this because um, church doctrine has changed all around us as a result of, of the children of pastors even, who are in charge of the flock, who, who become transgender. And and now a pastor is left trying to explain, well, how can I love my child? 
and, and still preach truth. And, and so the, the line moves. And all of a sudden, guess what happens? And this is where strongholds come into play. When emotional outburst becomes rationalized, it becomes justified. This is what a sophisticated argument is. When people start to reason about it, they start to rationalize it, and then they start to justify it, and before you know it, it becomes a stronghold. And, and so I would say to moms and dads, love your children, but don't move the line. Hold the line. You, you can't exchange the truth about God for a lie. And, and here's the thing. What we're seeing in our world today is the horrible consequences and decisions that have been made from people that have altered their bodies only to find out, guess what? This wasn't what I was looking for. I thought it would satisfy me. I thought it would meet this hunger that I had inside of me, this appetite that I would finally realize who I am only to realize it didn't make a difference. So what could you do as a mom and a dad in a situation like that? Rather than affirm them, let them know, hey, this is not, does not honor the Word of God. That way, when your son or daughter finally gets to this conclusion in their life that I've gone the wrong way, guess who can stand in their corner now and help them? Oh, I'm telling you guys, we, we see this whole thing wrong sometimes. And, and so young people have made these irrational decisions and moms and dads have said, oh, I've got to support my kid. And they go along with it. And then all of a sudden the kid recognizes that I've gone the wrong direction. And mom and dad, well, they just bought into whatever I said. Well, mom, mom and dad have now ceased to become vital and important in their life. Instead of demonstrating the truth to them. See, this is, this is the fallacy that we buy into. We, we become futile in our way of thinking. Claiming to be wise, we become fools with that kind of a mindset. And it leads to horrible decisions. So, so this is what I want us to consider. As we think about these sophisticated arguments that are raised against God, the knowledge of God, when you deal with an emotional outburst, don't look at a human way to rationalize it and reason it. Because you will eventually justify it. And all of a sudden, objective truth becomes subjective. A store manager heard his clerk tell a customer, No, ma'am, we haven't had any for a while, and it doesn't look as if we'll be getting any soon. Horrified, the manager came running over to the customer and said, Of course we'll have some soon. We placed an order last week. Then the manager drew the clerk aside. Never, he snarled, never, never, never say we're out of anything. Say we've got it on order and it's coming. Now what was it she wanted? Rain, said the clerk. That's an emotional outburst. And, and it led to some, uh, quite a bit of explaining to do, right? So it, it, it led to negative, negative consequences and bad decision making. We, we don't make decisions um, based on our emotions. In, in our world today, that's what has happened. I mean, the whole LGBT movement, the whole transgender movement 
is exchanging the truth of God for a lie. And now, you have reasoned these things through, you rationalize it, now you're starting to see justification in every corner. Oh, why would you deny this person love? And all kinds of horrible things. And, 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 and many, many that have started going down this road have also come to the conclusion that my life is worthless. Do you know that in our nation right now, in Canada, medically assisted suicide, we are number one among all developed nations. That means that more and more people in Canada are finding no purpose in living. Is that not sad? Our, our medical profession is killing its own people in advertising, in suggesting assisted suicide as a way out. See, this is the end goal. This is, this is part of the battle that is being fought in the heavenlies. There's an enemy that hates mankind that, because we're made in the image of God. He hates mankind. His, his ultimate goal for mankind is to destroy them, to steal and then kill and destroy. That's his, his ultimate goal for mankind and, and, and the masses have bought the lie. They've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And, and now we're at a place where mutilation isn't enough anymore. And it doesn't satisfy that, that hunger inside. And so as a result, people are seeking how to clean themselves up, how to get out of here. Life becomes pointless and not worth living. And so we ought to consider carefully when these sophisticated arguments that raise themselves up, exalt themselves up against the knowledge of God, when they start to become strongholds in our life. Don't allow the emotional outburst to become something that you rationalize. This is an incredible um, problem that we're dealing with today. We see even Eve in the Garden of Eden dealing with the same thought. And the enemy has not changed his tactics. In Genesis 3, 6, we read, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Guess what she did? She had an emotional outburst. And she, she made a decision purely based on her emotions. She looked at this fruit and she desired it. She's like, oh, this is good. Oh, this looks scrumptious. This looks appetizing. This looks, I desire this. I want this. And then she started to rationalize. And she reasoned within her own heart and said, hey, not only does this look good, it's going to make me wise. I'm going to be the better for it. And so she, she justifies her decision and takes of the fruit. And humanity has followed that method for years. And that's why in our world today we're dealing with stronghold after stronghold after stronghold. 
because we allow this emotional outburst to, to become something other than it, other than squashing it right there and recognizing it for what it is. We rationalize and justify, and all of a sudden it's something more. So, sophisticated arguments and lofty opinions. Let's focus on the lofty opinions yet as well. It says here that these lofty opinions are also raised against the knowledge of God. When you think of a lofty opinion, you're also thinking of something that is, is subjective, right? It's not, it's not the cold, hard truth. It's subjective. It's an opinion. Well, as, as a result of evolutionary thinking in our world, rather than understanding that God created the world in six days, evolutionary thinking has changed mankind's perspective. As a result, as, as mankind, we have been freed up to be independent. And our so-called freedom appeals to the mindset of millions and millions of people across the face of the earth today. Because these lofty opinions have been raised against the knowledge of God, mankind today, using human reasoning, has no accountability. There's zero accountability. Which means that sin can be justified and as any reasonable pursuit. It can be justified. And so today, um, sex has become an idol. And so, so there's unfettered sex in our world. There's sex without restraints. And as a result, because people have bought into this, this lie that, that God didn't create, we're no longer accountable to a holy God who will stand before on Judgment Day. As a result of that, well, you need an abortion industry to clean up the unfettered sex. And so this is, this is mankind's way of dealing with problems. And so these lofty opinions are raised against the knowledge of God. God ceases to become sovereign. God ceases to become the ultimate authority. And so that's why in Romans 1.26 we read that God gave them up to dishonorable passions. The woman exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. The men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And if you look at the rest of that passage, you'll see, you know, they became disobedient to parents, inventors of evil, hateful, filled with malice, covetousness. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This ought not to be what we find in the church. So, so this is the sophisticated arguments and the lofty opinions that have exalted themselves against the knowledge of God. The, the Spirit of God um, in 1 Timothy 4.1 says this, that in latter times some will depart from the faith, devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So not only is this ideology wrong, not only 
do they have their own agenda behind it. Not only is it a result of suppressing the truth in a darkened heart and a futile way of thinking, but actually it's demonic at the heart of it. It's demonic. That's ought to be our view when we consider it. It's not something we trifle with. It's not something we consider. It's not something we reason or rationalize about. It's demonic. It's deceitful. And it comes from the father of lies. So know your enemy. Know your enemy in the way he functions, in the way he rationalizes, in the way he exalts himself against God. And I just want to spend a few minutes here yet before we close um, talking about the weapon of truth. The, the weapon of truth cuts through all these things and has divine power to destroy strongholds. One of the things he says here is that these lofty opinions are raised against the knowledge of God. And I would just say this to you in closing. If these things are raising themselves against the knowledge of God, what ought to be the Christian's response? The Christian's response ought to be to get to know God. Because these things are raised against the knowledge of Him. So the Christian ought to pursue the knowledge of Him. Not those things that are raised against Him. Know your enemy, yes. But know the weapon that God has given you to destroy the stronghold. And the weapon that God has given you to destroy the stronghold is to get to know Jesus. Remember in John 15, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. <clears throat> Are you getting to know Jesus? Matthew 11, Jesus makes a comment about his ministry. In verse 27, he says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. That means all authority in heaven and earth. No one knows the Son, he says, except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So we ought to, to understand that Christ desires to reveal Himself to you. And He says, if you seek Me, you will find Me. And so I just want to encourage you today, as you Take up this weapon of truth. Are you searching for God? Are you getting to know Him? As, as you get to know Him, you'll be able to experience divine power that is able to destroy any stronghold in your life. Ephesians 6.14 says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. So I want to just go back to this thought that we mentioned earlier. We live in a world, a dark world, that suppresses the truth. May our light shine into this dark world. May we see people the way God sees them. And, and though we've been spending some time talking about people who are raising sophisticated arguments, sophisticated arguments and lofty opinions against God, I want to encourage you not to hate people like that. I think sometimes the church maybe has gone wrong even in that area. Don't hate them but don't affirm them. But exemplify truth to them. Let your light so shine before them that they would recognize God in your life and, and change as a result. The only way your light will shine, though, 
is by knowing the light. You must know the light. You must know Jesus personally as Lord and Savior. In that passage there, I want you to just notice one other thing there. He says, we take every thought captive. We take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So we recognize the sources that are coming our way. And we filter it through the knowledge of Him. We filter it through our understanding. God has given Christians a spirit of discernment. So inside of you, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, and if you know Him, you have the ability to filter all these thoughts coming your way. And and you know when thoughts are coming that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, you know where they belong. And, And sometimes we allow them to fester and dwell with us. Well, here he says, in order to win this battle, we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We don't allow it to dwell there. We don't allow it any jurisdiction in our heart and in our life. I was, I was kind of reminded of this um, little article um, written in the 1900s about a newspaper man named George Riddle. He acquired the, the London newspaper called The News of the World. And meeting British journalist, he says, Frederick Greenwood one day, Riddle mentioned that he owned a newspaper, told Greenwood its name, and he offered to send him a copy. The next time they met, Riddle asked Greenwood what he thought of the news. I looked at it, and then I put it in the waste paper basket, said Greenwood. And then I thought, if I leave it there, the cook may read it, so I burned it. (laughs) Thinking of that, I was thinking, you know, That's how we take thoughts into captivity too. You don't give it any jurisdiction. You know, if you put it in the waste paper basket, maybe you're going to have an opportunity and a weak moment to pull it up and personalize it. Burn it. Maybe someone else will read it and you don't want to be their stumbling block. Burn it. Destroy it. Don't even allow it to have any inroads. So he says, says, as we recognize these things, and, and we take these sophisticated arguments, these lofty opinions that are raised against the knowledge of God, um, we, we recognize where they come from, and so we take every thought into captivity, every thought that comes our way into captivity, and that's where victory is found, when we take these thoughts into captivity. So, we deal with the father of lies in a heavenly dimension. We We fight our battles in a heavenly dimension. We do that on our knees. We do that through prayer. We do that through study of the Word of God and getting to know Him. And it gives us the ability to effectively wield the weapon of truth. And it exposes the enemy for who he is. The enemy has not changed his tactics. He's still trying to steal, kill, and destroy. Just like he did to Jesus in the wilderness trying to sell him on sustenance, on power and position. He does it today too. Tries to tell us that the lies of the world are going to satisfy us. They don't satisfy us. Power and position that the enemy tries to offer us just fades away like a mirage in a desert. It doesn't... His promises never come into play. 
And as a result, a lot of people are very distorted today. And as Christians, we don't need to go that way. We have the weapon of truth, which we can wield against the lies. May God give you grace on a daily basis to take thoughts into captivity, to pick up the weapon of truth and to wield it effectively against the kingdom of darkness. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you haven't left us helpless. You haven't left us without an answer. Lord, as we think of the world around us in its darkness today, you have equipped us, Lord, with, with arsenal. You've equipped us with the opportunity to destroy strongholds in all these lofty opinions and sophisticated arguments that have been raised against you. Lord, may we effectively wield the sword of the Spirit, the truth of your word. May we take it wherever we go. Lord, bless your people with the knowledge of Jesus that is so deep that the lies of the enemy cannot permeate and make any room. Father, may we be willing to take passages like this and may we be victors destroying strongholds by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.